Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down, Bryce Young's career. You need 10, play clock at four. From the pocket, launching downfield, underthrown and intercepted. Kaylee Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard, along with my buddy Jonathan Williams. I've got a fun show for you tonight. You know, the coaches poll came out this week, so we're going to sit here and kind of go over that and, and look at where Georgia fell on there, who got some first place votes, and what that might look like as the season rolls through and, and what we think, how it's going to hold kind of thing. Um, and then Glenn Schumann, he took the, you know, he took to the podium. Had a lot of stuff to say. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in seeing word for word on that, there's an article out on dogsdaily.com by Brooks Austin uh, that'll give everything. But we're going to hit some key points of that part and all of his comments that we felt were noteworthy. They were more noteworthy than some of the other things. And then, as always, we're going to kick it out with or you know finish everything up with King of the Hill. Uh, brought to you by Jonathan Williams, as per usual. Should be a pretty fun one. We're going to talk about one of Georgia's rivals out there and what we expect their win-loss record to look like uh, this season and kind of evaluate what we think is going to happen after that. But, Jonathan, how are we doing this week, man? Heard you had a, a little bit of a rough day. It was a rough day. Um, it was a it was a pretty rough day for your boy. Um, fingers getting smashed by hammers getting caught up in a yellow jacket's nest you know it was just one of those days for me but you know that's all right working for me is about to be done with about to move back to athens so that's okay make the money while you can but other than that i'm doing really good excited for this episode i think there's a lot of good stuff to talk about especially with the coaches poll and honestly i'll go ahead and start us off the top 10 i really didn't have any discrepancies with top 10 to me looked pretty solid especially the top 4 i understand that it's it may be bit far-fetched to put Clemson at number four like they did but also Clemson returns a good amount of players and their defense is still going to be really good they have a lot of key guys um on that defense that are coming back uh, specifically at linebacker they have some really good linebackers there but other than that top 10 to me looks solid Alabama Ohio State Georgia Clemson Notre Dame Michigan Texas A&M Utah Oklahoma and Baylor rounding it off <clears throat> I don't have any issues with it, really. I do. I, mean, I think it is interesting that Utah is in um, the top ten. Seems like every single year, there's one of those teams that kind of creeps up into um, the top ten. That's kind of not expected. Like Iowa State last year, Iowa State was buzz. There was college football playoff hype for Ohio for Iowa State last season in the preseason. If you remember that, oh, and yeah, I can't. Now I'm a big camera. It was yeah. everywhere. 
It was. I'm a big Cameron Rising fan, which is Utah's quarterback. I like him a lot. I liked what I saw from him during bowl season last year. Really exciting to watch. And they open up with Florida in the swamp week one. And spoiler alert, Florida, you're you're very much probably going to be walking into an L week one. But other than that, top 10 looks pretty solid. Yeah, I would agree. I, overall, I don't have a problem with like the top 10. I, I do have a problem with Clemson sitting at four after coming off a three-loss season. And you know, what did they do to, to make that drastic of an improvement to give them the benefit of the doubt of being a top four team when you have other teams out there? You know, Michigan coming off of a playoff loss. Texas A&M, who's out there making a lot of noise. Uh, Notre Dame, you know, I would honestly probably rather see Notre Dame sitting at the Coaches poll number four than Clemson, even though I can't stand Notre Dame like that. But at the end of the day, it's it's kind of weird to have Clemson top four after coming off of a three loss season, and they were in the Cheez It Bowl last year, whatever it was. Uh, that's a little interesting. But yeah, I, I made the same note when I was looking at it. Utah being in there, I, I think that's that's going to be an interesting look this year. I think they are going to play that role of everyone talking about them potentially making a push for a a final four type appearance like they did with Iowa state last year. It should be a, uh, it should be an interesting, it should be an interesting development there. Um, Oklahoma being at nine, I could have seen them being a little bit higher, quite frankly. I know they lost Caleb mm-hmm. Williams and they lost, you know, Riley, but I, they love, they, they did get love, Dylan Gabriel who yeah. he played pretty decently at um, UCF. So it's by no means a horrible replacement. Obviously he doesn't have, the buzz that someone like Caleb Williams does around like Heisman trophy, putting up video game numbers and stuff like that. But still Dylan Gabriel is a pretty solid quarterback. I don't know that they finished in the top 10. Cause again, like anytime you get a first year head coach going into your program, you kind of got to pull back in the expectations, just kind of sit back. Don't do anything. Don't say anything. Just kind of observe as to what he does. Cause I'm interested to see, what Venables is able to do out in Oklahoma. He made a pretty strong comment the other day talking about committing. If you commit to me, you don't go anywhere else. You stay committed to us. <laughs> Perfect for a um, Dabo Sweeney disciple. But here's the thing, Stoddard. This is, this is where everybody had the biggest issue with the coaches poll. Go ahead. So you heard me read off the top 10 names. And um, in the top 10, Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia all received first-place votes. Alabama led the pack with 54. Georgia had six, and Oklahoma State had five. But then you go all the way Ohio down State. ranked number 18, and Texas got a vote for first place. One. It was only one, but they did. And that's the only other team besides those three I named earlier that got a first-place vote and was – first place vote and was in the top 25 but they're ranked at 16th but someone said that by god they're the, ranked at 18th actually they're the, the longhorns better yeah. be um number one on my poll thoughts on so, that thoughts thoughts on that is is the same kind of thought that i had when we saw the uh the one one first place vote for the sec east going to vanderbilt <laughs> this year that's that's what that's the vibe it gave me yeah, somebody just vanderbilt? threw it out there to Somebody just threw it out there and goes, you know, this will be funny. Let me do my coach's poll real quick. (laughs) Let me sit back and just waste my first place vote and throw it to this team. Just because guess what? I know everyone's going to be talking about it. We're all going to talk about it. Like that person's, that person's tactic had to been my test taking um, um, skills for when it in high school was, if you don't know it, just Christmas tree it. When in doubt, Christmas tree it. So they just went down the teams and Christmas tree it. And Texas just happened to end up at the top for them. I, it has to be the only way that Texas received a first place vote. I mean, I get it. I look looking at Texas roster. 
it's really, really solid. You got Bijan Robinson at running back, really, really good running back. I mean, Heisman, Heisman potential, one of the best backs in the country by um, bar none. And then also you, um, you got Quinn Ewers at uh, you got Quinn Ewers at quarterback. Again, really good quarterback. Supposed to be a really good quarterback, at least. Haven't really seen anything from him at the collegiate level. And then you got Xavier Xavier Worthy, our wide receiver, a really good wide receiver. He is um, could very well be the number one wide receiver in this class in the upcoming season. So you got a lot of offensive talent. That's that's Sarkeesian's um, groove. That's what he knows in college. That's what he's always known. And um, him having an offensive coordinated background, all that stuff. He, it, the offense is going to be good. But the question is, I kind of see them how I've seen Oklahoma for like the past 10 years, I feel like. Yeah, their offense is probably going to be really good. But what's that defense looking like? How are they going to get stops? Because I don't care how you get stop, how good your offense is, Tennessee, by the way. I don't care how good you, how many points you put up. If you're giving up points all over the place and you can't get stops, it ain't going to matter. You ain't going to win as many games as you think you do. So that's kind of how I feel about Texas. I get the hype. I understand offense is exciting. That's what people want to see. That's what gets people people's attention. But at the same time, it's a holistic view for me. How what does your team look like in totality? And for me, Texas does not pass that um, pass the test in that regards for me. No, I don't think they do either. And I, I but I, I they do have a pretty favorable you know conference at that point, right? Especially with Oklahoma being down right now, because like we said, yeah, they may be in the top ten, but do you expect it to hold in top ten territory throughout the season? Quite frankly, I don't because, like you said, you listed all the reasons. I won't go back over the same thing. But as a first-year head coach, it's a new system. It's all this stuff. You're coming from a a guy that ran a defense, a good defense, a darn good defense at Clemson. That's that's great. It takes a little bit for a guy like that to come in and produce offensively and and make something out of it, which is what we saw. Think, I mean, let's take it back to Kirby days real quick, right? It took Kirby's offense a little bit of time to get up. It took him finding the right guy as an offensive coordinator to really work well with him. Somebody he trusted. Somebody Todd. There's not a bunch of Todd Munkins out there uh, that are as good at the job and somebody that Kirby would be willing to let have that much control. Think about how things were with like James Coley. He only was in there for a year, and Kirby said, "Nope, gotta go. This ain't working." It takes a little bit, so I think it's going to take Venables a little bit of time to actually find a offensive coordinator that he trusts working with to be able to succeed and be a top 10 team again. Uh, with that being said, that that just tells me, though, that Texas has the opportunity to dethrone them in the Big 12, and it does make it favorable for them to make some runs. I expect them to finish you know, higher than 18th, which is where they're starting right now, but the big thing for them with me is exactly what you said, too. Quinn Ewers hasn't played a snap of football in college yet. Outside of practices, you know, he, he jumped from Ohio. He, he skipped his senior season in in high school, jumped straight into college football at Ohio State, and made it through the season and instantly transferred in, in, in you know January or whenever it was. Like he was tra- he was transferred basically as soon as you could transfer out of there. I'm pretty sure. If somebody wants to fact check and see when he actually transferred, that'd be great. Uh, but he hasn't played anything. So now all of a sudden I, I get frustrated with all of the hype that everyone puts on a team like Texas when they have a quarterback that they're going off of. Basically, he's a true freshman in my head, man. Like he he essentially would be a true freshman right now. Actually, he would be. He spent a year in a college system, but he would be a true freshman right now because he skipped a year of high school to get there. How are we going to put a kid that's 18 years old on like that high of a pedestal going into a season where 
you know, you have no proof of, of, you know, product. It's not there yet. I'm going to, I'm not saying he's not going to be good. He might be great. I just, we haven't seen anything and the coaches poll and everyone voting on it. Haven't seen anything to really be able to say that that's justified, but yeah, let's throw him a first place vote. That's fun. <laughs> well, speaking <laughs> of throwing in votes, um, other teams that did make it not mentioned, we'll get some shout outs, shout out to Oregon. They're number 12. Shout out to Dan and Dan landing out there in Oregon now. And then also Mel Tucker, his team's ranked number 14th going into the upcoming season. But again, Georgia sitting at number three in the coaches poll prior to the 2022 season, which is ramping up. And clearly it, there's signs of it because um, Glenn Schumann, First press conference with the University of Georgia since taking over officially as defensive coordinator. I know that he was co-defensive coordinator in years past with Dan Lanning, but now Dan Lanning, like I said earlier, off to Oregon. Now it's Glenn Schumann. When you look at the defense, you're looking at Glenn Schumann, maybe a little bit of Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart, but the head man is Glenn Schumann as far as I know. And he, like you said earlier, he gave a lot of – he just gave a lot in his opening press conference. Touched on a lot of things, um, spoke about a lot of players um, – updated us on a lot of things. And the first one I'm going to start off with, and it's my guy. I was talking to you, Dan, and Harrison. We were just talking defense like we typically do, talking some Georgia football. And I said, I'm really excited to see Jamon Dumas Johnson. You've heard his name kind of floating around now for a JDJ. while. Um, also known as Pop. Love that. I mean, can't get any better for a linebacker. And and so um, um, Glenn Schumann gave – I keep wanting to say Dan Lanning. I've really got to break that habit. Glenn Schumann, Glenn Schumann, Glenn Schumann. That's going to take a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah, that's going to take a little but, bit of time to get used to. So he talked about Jamon Dumas-Johnson, how he's been doing in um, camp, his performance so far. And he just went out and said he loves football. He practices really hard. He's an instinctive physical player, but we need to co- continue to see him grow. Everybody needs to grow. It's day six of practice, but I've seen him try to step up and actually challenge. It's at this point, we all know how things go with Georgia and defense, especially with Kirby Smart as head coach. The older guys are going to get the reps more times than not, especially guys that are, stick around and wait their turn to at that position. Ryan Davis or Ryan Davis and Trezor Marshall have done that at linebacker, so they're probably going to be the guys that you see open it up for Georgia at linebacker. But you also got guys like Xavier Sori, Jamon Dumas Johnson that are floating around, Smile Mondon also floating around, that are really good. And you hear it from Glenn Schumann right there that those guys are continuing to improve. They're continuing to grow, which is what you want to see from a guy like um, JDJ, who's starting to enter that middle part of his career. He's had a, he's had two off-seasons now pretty much under his belt where he's gotten reps. He's getting accumulated to things. He's understanding what is expected of him as a linebacker. And again, it's Glenn Schumann with a linebacker. We, we know the drill. You play for Schumann, you play on Sundays. That's what Brooks always says, and that's the god dang truth. And that's what it's looking like for uh, the Thanks. upcoming um, linebackers right now. And Jamon Dumas-Johnson is one I'm really excited to see this season. And I think he's going to be a guy that you may not see a bunch of at the start, but come midseason and towards the end of the season, his name and his number are going to be a familiar sight on the football field. That's true. And you, know, and you kind of gave me a perfect segue point when you said something about, you know, being there waiting your turn and and being ready to put in the work and go for it. Well, the next thing that I wanted to point out from his his comments was about Nolan Smith returning for his senior season and how big that is for this roster, right? Well, first of all, it's huge. When you get a guy like that to return for their senior season, that's as hungry as he is because this is his money year, right? Everyone knows it's his money year. You got to go out there, ball out, and you're going to be able to take that jump to the next level. It, this year determines your future entirely. 
Well, he's also that leader, right? You needed somebody to take over as a leader out there. And the the comment that stuck out to me from Schumann on him was, Nolan is one of those guys that, hey, if you're going to talk about it, you got to be about it. So he's out there. He, he holds himself to an extremely high standard, but he's also holding everybody else to a high standard. He's going to make them. Now, you can't just be walking around saying, I'm great. I'm good because of this, that, and the other. Show me that you're great. Show me why you are great. Show everybody why you are great. And so I'm excited to see what he's going to do because I know he's got that voice. He's a very vocal player based on what Schumann is, playing, is saying, plus what we've seen and you know been able to evaluate ourselves. He, he's going to take charge of it. And you needed a guy... You needed him on this roster this year because at that linebacking core, that's usually where your leader of the defense is going to come from because they're the ones. Think about the leaders in the past. Who's it been, right? You had uh, uh, N'Kobe Dean. Dean. You had Monty Rice. You had Roquan Smith. Those guys were all like the captain of the defense. They were running the defense. And it's, it's that linebacker position, right? They played a different spot than Nolan did, sure. But they're still a linebacker. That linebacking core is extremely young were extremely inexperienced. They got a ton of talent, just really inexperienced at those positions. So you really needed Nolan Smith to come back and take charge, and it looks like he is. Yeah, Nolan Smith, I think in my opinion, the thing in years past, it seems like teams that go and make a national title run and teams that ultimately win a national title, you got to have a good mix of Young talent that's on the verge of just popping off and stapling their name into the college football world and putting everybody on notice. But you also got to have some guys that we know who they are. We know what kind of player Nolan Smith is. We know what kind of player Jordan Davis is last year. We know who those guys are. But, yeah, they're coming back for another season. And it's not just their ability on the field. It's their leadership as well. Jordan Davis was a big leader. While N'Kobe Dean was – you're right. He was the focal point of Georgia's defense. You saw it on the field. You saw it off the field, or at least you heard about it off the field. You knew who the leader of that pack was. And this year, it sounds like Nolan Smith is kind of taking on that role. And that's a good thing to see as someone that, and it's, and you're hearing the same things that you heard last year about he's holding people accountable. That defense last year held each other accountable. Yes, they were a unit and they were together and they loved each other. But you saw it from the Kobe Dean last year when he held Channing Tindall accountable in the Still biggest one of my game of the season. highlights from that game. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows the play where he's screaming in Channing Tindall's face saying, you have to be there on that play. Very next play, boom, sack Bryce Young, uh, sacks Bryce Young on the very next play, force him to kick a field goal. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of things yeah, you need a on a point. defense. Yeah. That, Those that would save six points. Yeah. And having leaders like Nolan Smith, having and especially the um, having leaders like Nolan Smith is a big difference maker, and especially considering you lost Trevon Walker in the offseason. And if you threw in Nolan Smith as well, that's not only two defensive tackles that you were going to be replacing in Devontae Smith and Jordan Davis, or not Devontae Smith, Devontae <laughs> Wyatt and Jordan Wyatt, Davis. Yeah. But then you would also have had to replace Trevon Walker and Nolan Smith off the edge. That's a lot for a defense to take on in one offseason. So it's a good thing to have him back locking down the edge, and he's a guy that's continued to improve. So, seniors, uh, so his final year at Georgia – should be looking pretty good as well, and a lot of expectations for him as well. Another guy that's got some um, high expectations for me, really liked what I saw from this guy at G-Day. I said I wrote a good, bad, the ugly um, article for G-Day, and one of the uglies was that there was no pass rush, and I didn't really see much that flashed on the defensive line. But there was one player who really did flash for me, and that was Tyreon Ingram Dawkins. That guy flashed. He was coming off the edge. I really liked what I saw from him. He was consistently getting to the quarterback um, for the spring game. 
And Glenn Schumann touched on him, gave a little update on um, what, what's going on with him in, um, in camp right now. And he said, I think the biggest thing is when he went into the spring, he really attacked his body and his ability to be a guy around the edge. That's a battle you take as a big guy every single day all throughout the summer and into fall camp. The biggest thing is when you're when you're leaner, you can be quicker and more explosive. It's beneficial. All things you really like to hear about a guy coming off the edge. We just talked about Trevon Walker. He's gone number one pick in the draft, already tearing it up in the NFL. And now you got Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, who has a lot of upside, who's, who flashed in the spring game, looking really good. Glenn Schumann gave a lot of positives about him in the fall camp. Potentially a guy you see start to lock down that edge spot for Georgia, somewhere where they need it. You're going to need help up front on the defensive line. You ain't got Jordan Davis, who did a lot of special things for you. Um, defensively and just create a lot of attention. Jalen Carter does that too. Don't get me wrong, but you lost a lot up there. So you're going to need guys to step up and make some plays guys like Zion Logue and Tyrone Ingram Dawkins. But um, so really good to see him flashing in fall camp. Someone that will, um, will um, create a lot of attention from fans. I have a feeling in the upcoming season. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to put this up because shout out to Dan being in the comments. We appreciate you watching and supporting the show as always. But there are so many names. You know, there's there's so many new names on that defensive side of the ball. Offensive side of the ball, we know who they are. You know, there's not going to be any surprises there. Quite frankly, there might be one or two guys that are freshmen that you see, you know, flash. But there's not a lot of guys to learn names of. Now, there are a lot of guys to learn names for on on the defensive side of the ball you know for if you if you don't pay attention to all of the recruiting and all of the offseason stuff like we do and like other people do in this channel then you're gonna you're gonna be out there going who is that guy never heard his name before but you're gonna be put on notice very quickly by guys like TID and you know JDJ all these guys that we've been talking about those guys are going to show you who they are you're, you're not going to forget their name after you know the first couple of games you see how much they pop off the screen right how many plays they're making it's not always kind of funny how like this year's recruiting class you can pretty much remember all the names or majority of the names that came into this class but it takes one year and you're like holy crap i i forgot i totally forgot about ingram dawkins i totally forgot about jamon dumont johnson nylon green didn't even remember he was around now all these names are surfacing up they're coming out of the waters um, now that there's spots available and these position battles are going on and people are fighting hard for their minutes and you're like, holy cow, I totally forgot about them. And it just brings a lot of excitement, especially during this time of the year, because you're hearing about names. You're hearing that this person's doing really good in practice. This person's starting to flash. This person's starting to figure it out. That's really exciting. And it's always uh, there's nothing better than college football just being right around the corner. The excitement builds up every single day because, you know, like us, we're tweeting off all these, like, you know, the countdowns of 23 days left or 24 days left. And it's like every single day, like, it's that much closer. We're that much closer to Georgia football being back. We're that much closer to college football being back. And it's it's just such a refreshing feeling seeing football flooding the timeline again and us finally actually getting to talk about revelant Georgia football things right now. It's, just, it's not just us sitting here on a podcast being like, oh, well, you know, I think in five months that Eric Gilbert is going to have 900 yards this year. It's, these things are starting to come to fruition through the things that we Three hear. weeks, my guy. Three weeks. Three weeks. And then when you get um, just people bringing in Intel like Brooks, that just brings so much excitement. I love this time of year. Yeah, it's it's no longer we're, we're – 
on the tail end of talking season. I'm going to say it's still talking season because we still have a couple more weeks till the pads start popping and you start playing other people. So it's still time. Everyone Right now, everyone's got the same record. It's 0-0. Everyone is as good as everyone kind of thing right now. You can say you're better, but until you start seeing those pads pop on the field and all the scoreboards light up at the end of the game, then you don't know... You, you don't know how good your team is yet. You, you can't really say. And I was talking to a buddy about, before we get into the rest of the show, I was talking to a buddy about something earlier. Just like, man, it's, it's easy for me to sit here and go, yeah, Georgia's good because of X, Y, and Z. I, I've been following them this offseason. I know the additions they've made. I know all of the changes, all the guys out there. And I know who's going to take over for the guys that left. So I'm confident that Georgia's still going to have a good defense, right? We, we know that because we follow it. From an outside perspective, they're like, say, teams that we play against, right? Let's use South Carolina, um, maybe Kentucky, like those teams as an example, or Tennessee, those three teams. They're going, man, Kentucky's been, has been right there, you know, second place in the East for a while. Tennessee blew up on offense last year, expecting them to do the same kind of thing. And then you've got, you know, South Carolina making huge additions in the transfer portal with, uh, you know, all these players, right? They're going, Georgia's defense might not be so good this year, man. I don't know. You know, it's hard to evaluate that because outside of the big names that transfer, like all of the big names, you're going, I don't know what that team has done to make their team better. Or like they're going, I don't know what Georgia has done to answer those questions at defense this year. So in my head, they're not going to have the great defense that we're used to seeing. They're not going to have that elite defense that we have. When in reality, they're dead wrong because Georgia's going to have those guys. They may not be as good because obviously there's going to be a fall off when you have that many guys go in the first round and in the draft entirely. You're going to have to rebuild a little bit there, but there's guys there ready to take over that other people aren't going to notice. So when we sit here and talk about other teams in talking season, when we haven't seen them play a game yet, it's, it's really hard to evaluate. That's coming to an end. And that's the most exciting thing ever. After week one, we can sit here and go, man, now we know what that team looks like. Talking season's done. There's no more of it. What, what you are is what you are. When when that first when the, the when the ball is kicked off for the first time, it's game on. From that point on, you are evaluated based on who you are in those games. What have you done in those games? There's no more of this speculation of if, when, how, possibly, unless you're Alabama and you do it all the freaking time, no matter what. But there's no more of this. The excuses are done. Talking season is done. It's just game on. Put, put some put helmet to helmet. It's time to figure out who's the better team and what's really going on and who's the better team this year. And I think it's easy for people from an outsider's perspective, from an outsider's perspective to say, oh, well, Georgia's going to be down on defense. Yeah, because you look at the numbers, everything tells you that Georgia is going to be down on defense. If you look at it through that way, defensive production, huge tick down, not a lot of it returning. A bunch of guys entered the league. How are you going to possibly replace all those players that went into the draft? How is that even possible? But here's an interesting stat for you. I I believe going into the 2021 season, Georgia was returning less defensive production last year than they are this year. Preach. Just saying. I mean, if we're going off, if you're just looking, and so that just tells you the whole story. It, those things don't tell you the whole story. You can't base those things off of how a team is going to fare because you don't know what guy's going to click. You don't know what guy's going to step up and just absolutely flash out of nowhere. You don't know when you're going to get a guy like Dan Jackson, someone who nobody has heard of all of a sudden just start playing meaning, meaningful minutes and is actually pretty dang good or have a guy like Keely Ringo who is young and you probably wouldn't expect to be really good, but ends up balling out and is now your team's number one quarterback 
cornerback and is getting first round buzz going into this year already. Those like you can't predict those things. And that's why talking season, it's just talking. People are just talking, I guess, because they miss college football. But at the end of the day, it's meaningless and it doesn't mean anything until helmet meets helmet on the football field. No, it doesn't. And as the title of this goes, how good will Georgia's defense be in 2022? They will be as good as they are used to being. They may not be as elite as they were last year because they have a little bit of stuff to adjust to, but they will be a good defense, a great defense after you know the season's all said and done. Don't think that Kirby Smart's going to come out here and just let that defense slack off because they lost some production. Like as if that's going to matter to him. Like the stat that that Jay will just dropped for you. They lost production before. They have more production coming back this year than they did last year. And last year's defense was literally the best defense we've probably ever seen in college football. You have guys, what what you don't pay attention to, right? You, you looked at all the other stuff and all of the big names that left, like your, your Jordan Davis, your Nicobe Deans, all that kind of stuff, right? They all left. Things you should pay attention to that came back. Think about players like, like Robert Beal. Or Bobby Beal, as as your boy uh, Stequavius said in his in his presser, uh, Stetson brought that up because I thought that was pretty funny. So I'm going to call him Bobby from here on out because I thought that was good. But he led he led the team. Bobby Boucher Beal. That's the new nickname. That's, yep, Bobby Boucher Beal. That's it. BBB. <laughs> he he's back this year. He led the team in sacks last year. So he played a special role. Yeah, he wasn't out there all the time, but he came in and he made a, his presence known when he was out there. Guys like that are coming back. You you When you bring him back and he was your leading sack guy last year, that's huge for your defense. That that You have an experienced pass rusher out there. You have Nolan Smith on the other side that we talked about earlier. That guy's going to be working on his pass rush a lot this year as well, I feel. So you're going to have that. They're going to be in the backfield making plays, creating chaos, as Kirby likes to you know point out that that's what they try to do a lot. That's what you need. They're there still. So this defense and you is have, still going to be incredible. And you have to remember, Robert Beal really didn't start playing a whole lot until the whole fiasco with Adam Anderson happened. And that was about halfway through the season. So for him to lead the team in sacks – with the amount of talent that they had on it last year and the fact that he really wasn't playing. He wasn't like an every down player essentially until halfway through the year tells you everything to know what, what is what Bobby is capable of this um, for Georgia this year. And then also you have to know is that Kirby smart is on record of saying this is his best coaching staff ever. And that includes him losing his defensive coordinator this year, a really good defensive coordinator. You got names like Will Muschamp, Glenn Schumann, who we already talked about, and Kirby Smart coaching up that defense. Those are three really good names, and they're really and they're they're proven developers at a lot of positions. So the defense is always going to be a good hands. And when and the thing is, when you do produce as much as Georgia does, when you do produce as much um, talent defensively that Georgia has over the years, you got to get used to replenishing it at a higher rate, and you got to get used to just. It's go, 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 go. There's no missing a beat or there's no off year with your defense. There's a reason why Georgia has had a top five defense, I believe, in three of Kirby Smart's six seasons at Georgia. There's a reason for that, guys. It's no fluke, that's for sure. It's no fluke at all. Yeah. No, absolutely not. But someone who might be – or it's not even a fluke season. We're going into King of the Hill. We're jumping straight into it. You guys know the drill by now. You know what King of the Hill is. Heck, we've been doing it all offseason. What? So we'll we see have. if it gets to continue fun. during the season. I don't know if it does, but we'll see. So, but anyway, there's a lot to cover the during head. the season. But it's a great topic for the off season. We'll prop it'll Absolutely. it'll be around. It'll be around. It's a staple at this point. Yeah, it'll be. It around. It is a staple. 
But today's King of the Hill, I really don't even know if I would classify it as a debate. It's more so just a discussion between us. And also, because I got stung by Yellow Jackets today, I'm feeling a little salty towards them. So we're going to be doing some Georgia Tech bashing today. And I was looking at their schedule. I sent it to you, Dan and Harrison, one time. And I said, can we talk about Georgia Tech's schedule for a minute? And I was just going up and down looking at it, kind of scoping out the talent. And I'm just going to read them off real quick. So just try and keep up with me if you can. You open up with Clemson, Western Carolina Catamounts, Ole Miss Rebels, UCF, Pittsburgh, Duke, Virginia, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Miami, North Carolina, Georgia. That is a loaded schedule. And I I said it to you in the pre-show, and I don't care what anybody says. I'm gar- I can only guarantee Georgia Tech one win on that schedule, and it's to Western Carolina. There's only one yep. win on that schedule that I can guarantee Georgia Tech has by the end of the year. The other ones either ain't happening, long shot, like games like Clemson and Georgia, or there are other games like Florida State who they, they just have better players, so they're probably going to win. And then you have like Duke and UCF who's like, maybe that's a toss-up. But then again, I'm still probably giving the edge to Duke and um, UCF in that scenario. Because you got to remember, UCF got John Rice Plumley and Gus Malzahn down there. And Gus Malzahn loves him a little mobile quarterback who's an athlete. And that's exactly what John Rice Plumley is. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I was looking at it, and I was a little bit more generous with them than you were, because um, I know you you were like, bro, I see one win, and that's that's all I can you. say. And I, I mean, I get why you're saying that, because I looked at the same schedule, and I understand where you're coming from. I gave them, I gave them that game, um, and then I gave them Duke, and then I, I I'm saying that they they catch one other team, so I'm giving them three wins because I do think they they can beat Duke. I don't quite think they can beat UCF um, because like what you just talked about. And I I don't know, man. I think they might be able to catch Florida State because Florida State just really hasn't improved. in Tallahassee, though. I know it is. I don't know, man. I'm not that's I'm not guaranteeing one. anything. I'm not guaranteeing anything. That's that's I'm not saying that's the third team they beat. I'm saying that I think they could catch a third team, whether it be them, maybe it's UCF, maybe they go out and, and take care of they they beat Sam Howell last year with North Carolina. Yeah, they were in, in Atlanta and they were in the Georgia Dome. Fair. But they they did beat Sam Howell and and North Carolina. And now North Carolina doesn't have Sam Howell. They do have to travel to Chapel Hill though, so that, that makes a big difference for me as well. Um, so I don't know that they win, but I, I could see them winning three games, but to me, it, it's anything above that. I think is going to be, is going to be an impossible hill to climb up. And at that point, which is, this is what I talked to you about before the show as well was, man, if they don't, this is Jeff Collins fourth season. If they win three games this year, after only winning nine games in his first three seasons, like you said too, they can't even do a top ten wins of Jeff Collins. Jeff career. Collins cannot do a top yeah, ten wins do. list because he doesn't have ten. He, he only has, has nine, nine at Georgia Tech. Nine, so he can't even do that yet. So when you have a coach that's done that, and they're going into his fourth year, and if he only wins three games, or maybe it's worse, maybe he only wins that one or two that we've been talking about. It's time to let him go. At least right? he's like, consistent. It's got to be time to go. Like at that yeah, point, it, it, or, it'd have to just be. fold the whole. If you're going to keep him, just fold look, the program. At this look, point, don't even. There are um, three. There are three about to be four years deep in the Jeff Collins um, trial run, and there are no signs of improvement. You just lost your best player on the whole team. Jameer Gibbs gone. Went to Alabama. Yeah, that one hurts. Who else you got that on the roster? 
Jeff Sims, every offseason, I, I feel like everybody's like, oh, Jeff Sims looking real good. He's got a real strong arm. You don't even hear that Nothing this year, at, You don't hear never, it. Yeah, because you want to know why? People are catching on. People know it. Georgia Tech, it ain't it right now, man. You guys are not, not on the uphill climb. You guys are just kind of in a middle road of not even mediocrity, just the middle road of trash. That's they're where slipping. you're stuck you know, at right now. You know where they're slipping? Where? They're slipping to Vanderbilt territory. Oh, Vandy territory. Well, I guess then that means that they'll be one if of they, the best programs if they have in college a season, football in the near future. <laughs> that first place East vote. That you know, logic. That first place East vote, they're coming back. <laughs> no, because but that's for real. I, I'm, I'm being serious. If they keep, especially if they keep Jeff Collins around, what makes them think that if he has a two to three win season this year and they keep him around, are you just signing up to be at the bottom of the A, even the ACC? You're the bottom of the ACC every year. And that's cool with you? Like, I don't Should understand. Be. Like, at that point, you that's why I make – at least Vanderbilt's changing coaches more and trying to do something different. And, like, it's not working. But they're trying I'm, something. I don't know. All I'm going to say is if Georgia Tech is winning three games, they better get two of them in the first half of the season. Because I'm telling oh, yeah. you, those yeah. last six games, you got Virginia, Bobby Dodd Stadium, at Florida State, at Virginia Tech, Miami at home, at North Carolina, at Georgia. That is – brutal brutal way in the season you got four of the six or five of the six four of the six four of the six um final games um are <clears throat> are away that mean you only got two home games in that part of the season and a lot of those teams are pretty good they're pretty good teams they're very well respected in college football so man it ain't looking good already for georgia tech i know we just talked about how preseason talk is just talk it doesn't mean anything but I'm t- th- I don't think this one is just talk. I think this is absolutely true that Georgia Tech is in for another horrible season, which Georgia fans obviously don't care. They don't feel bad, but they do care a little bit, as we said earlier in the show, or not earlier. Before we got on the show, like, part of Georgia fans probably want Georgia Tech to be at least decent. They want them to be at least a decent football team because rivalries are supposed to be fun. But yeah. they get too fun when your rival- when one of your bigger rivals is just dog water every single year it seems like and it's pretty much just another fcs matchup to end the season every single year like so let me let me phrase it to you this way because we have a couple minutes we can still talk here you have a team like vanderbilt quite frankly as a georgia fan vandy week is a bye week for me you know i watch every game i do but that noon kickoff every time you play them that at least you go to nashville every other year maybe yeah that's maybe it'd be more fun to like, but it's not that fun to watch. You know, it, it's not a, it's not a good game. You don't get antsy. You don't have that like butterfly, that butterfly feeling as a college football fan is, is a fun like experience, right? Like that, like, Hey, this is going to be a good game. You know, expecting the other team to at least put up a fight. They're not even doing anything right. Vanderbilt never challenges you at all. Georgia tech, like I said, has entered that same type of territory. If Georgia tech stays the same way, right? The same way that they are right now, maybe they win two, three games this year. And then the conference realignment happens in the SEC, right? And then you have to add an SEC game to your schedule or something like that. Maybe you eliminate some of your out-of-conference games. Do you do you really want to keep that game that, like, less, you only have three out-of-conference games all of a sudden? Do you really want to give that to Georgia Tech every year versus being able to go out and schedule a, a Clemson? Or somebody that's a fun game. Like we started the season off this year. I was so excited for the season to start last year, where you played an out like in like this season, this season, you play Oregon to start the year. 
you might have to number 12 right now it's a ranked match you might have to sacrifice a game like that to keep them on your schedule so yeah as a georgia fan i know it's weird but i want georgia tech to at least be bolt eligible like that at least at least be up something that's like a team that could maybe try to punch you in the mouth one day you don't expect that at all you you you're what you know it's a noon kickoff it's coming it's going to be a noon kickoff you know it's going to be a bloodbath it's in athens this year too like it's is he it's not that fun to watch anymore. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And we know Kirby Smart is not afraid to probably drop the hammer with scheduling. He's always, I mean, the, the foreseeable future for their for Georgia's schedule is littered with out-of-conference games or what would have been out-of-conference games between like Oklahoma and Texas. But you got games against UCLA also in the mix out there. More, Cle- uh, more games against Clemson. I think Oregon is in there again, possibly. Can't remember. Don't quote me on that. So I would not be surprised if eventually Kirby Smart just says, hey, yo, Josh Brooks, like this ain't cutting it anymore, man. Like we got to amp up the um, strength of schedule. We got to get a better game that we can have at home. We Like we have to have better home games or we have to we just have to have better games on the schedule in general because Georgia Tech ain't cutting it, man. We just got to leave them behind and leave them be left for dead is essentially how it would be for that. But yeah. I think that is going to conclude. This, this week's show. And let's start. You got something else you want to add? You got some more Georgia Tech slander you're holding back that you want to get off your chest real quick? No, I mean, not not really on there, but you made a very good point with it, right? That's a, every other year, that's one of the, the six home games that you get in Athens, or maybe five home games that you get in Athens, depending on, you know, with the, the uh, Georgia-Florida game, right? That being a neutral site game, it counts as a home game, but it's not in Sanford Stadium. So you might only get five home games or something like that. Do you really want one of them to be Georgia Tech? Not right now. As a, as a booster of the program, as somebody that goes to the home games and goes to all that, do you really want one of those five games to beat Georgia Tech every single time? Like that's that's where you're going to start now, seeing those guys. Sure. Everyone complains about the home game schedule as is. One of yeah. those games this year that people are complaining about is Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got one good home game this year. It's Auburn. That's that's really your only good home game that you have right now. And last year was a snooze fest as well for home games. Your best one was a noon matchup against uh, against Arkansas. Were we on the road against so, Kentucky? Yeah, we were on the road against Kentucky this year. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking so, I was trying to remember if that game. Home schedule is not looking too hot this year either, so things are probably going to change if that continues. Tennessee's Tennessee at home. is at home. That's a good point. That might be so a you got Auburn game. and Tennessee. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see when the season rolls around how they're looking. But that is going to conclude this week's episode. Hope you get hope you guys really enjoyed it. A lot of fun stuff. Talked about a lot of different things between coaches' poll rankings and our discrepancies with that, as well as Glenn Schumann, his first press conference as Georgia's defensive coordinator, what he said about players, things we're excited about, guys like Nolan Smith, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, and then we close it out with King of the Hill with Georgia Tech, their schedule not looking too hot, their season not looking too hot either. So that is going to do it for us. Make sure to follow us on the socials. You guys know the drill. Dr. Underscore J. Will, the Stodfather on Twitter, and then Classic City POD as well. Also on Facebook if you're interested in that type of thing. And Stoddard, you can close us out. And as always, guys, keep it classy in the Classic City. We will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports Crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at The Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. 
Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... To his super words, which express the sentiments of the entire Bulldog Nation.